Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right. The surest sign. It's the holiday season. We're back. I tried to go look, and I got bored of filtering through. When did the first year we did this, we don't have a great categorization system. And like, once you scroll past a few hundred episodes in iTunes or something like that, it, it's very difficult to to look at a whole list. I think this is our fifth year. Today's episode is brought to you by Penguin Young Readers. So this book I'm about to tell you about is giving five worlds meets spirited away realness. It's about a girl fighting her way back home after getting trapped in the spirit world. It follows Anzu, who's moved to a new town during Oban, a time for families to remember and celebrate their ancestors. And ever since her Albachan died, Oban has lost its magic. She doesn't feel much like celebrating anymore. So while avoiding holiday festivities, Anzu spots a stray dog down the street, a dog that seems to be staring right at her. So when she chases it, she slips and falls down a bridge, losing consciousness. And when she awakes, she's in the Shinto underworld known as Yomi. The stray dog, she finds out, is actually the gatekeeper of Yomi, and he warns her to return to the human realm before it's too late. Like I said, Miyazaki realness, um, I'm super excited for this. So make sure to pick up Anzu in the Realm of Darkness by Mai K. Nguyen. And thanks again to Penguin Young Readers for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Underlined. Haven't read a Natasha Preston thriller yet? We dare you to try. She's known for her line of chilling young adult suspense novels like The Cellar and The Fear. The New York Times and USA Today bestselling author excels at putting fear into the hearts of her readers. So her newest book, titled The Dare, is about five friends whose senior prank goes very, very wrong. This is the perfect graduation season read for thriller fans who can handle a good scare. The Dare is now available wherever books are sold. You can learn more about it at getunderlined.com. So again, this young adult thriller is about five friends with a prank that goes wrong. There are dark secrets, a twisty plot, and creepy I know what you did last summer vibes. So if you, you know, it's graduation season, you want to revel in that, but like make it scary. You know what I mean? Pick up The Dare by Natasha Preston. And thanks again to Underline for sponsoring this episode. Or, uh, yeah, fifth. I think our fifth year. I don't think we did the first year we were up and cooking. Our first year of doing the podcast was 2013. I think the fall of 2014 was the first time mm-hmm. we did this. Does that sound right? I think it does, yeah. And yeah. I remember being delighted that you had Photoshopped Christmas lights onto the podcast <laughs> That's <logo>. right. <laughs> that I, need to go, I need to find that. I need to find that. Uh, so we're back. Um, what I was going to say. Oh, we're... We got a lot of. I think we're going to get. I think. I hope we're going to get to all the ones that came in, which yeah, is really I think great we might. this year. Mm-hmm. And um, for those of you who wrote in, thank you so much. And you took to heart our permission to write a whole lot about what you wanted, um, and you did. So we have a lot of information, but we're not going to read it all, just to, for the the um, 
expediency's sake of the show to keep keep the ball rolling, yeah. as we say. Yeah, I think this is business. maybe the second or third year in a row. It feels to me like we've done it this way before too, where it's like it's Saturday morning, we're drinking our yeah. tea, we're in a special cozy entering winter holiday mode to do this. It's, it's really yeah, nice. First I'm glad freeze, to not be first freeze last night here. Yeah. Oh yeah, we've had a couple. We've had a couple little freezes here, but I'm I'm ready to do this. I'm like fully enveloped in my coziest sweatshirt. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Uh. Uh-uh. All right. So, my dad loves audiobooks, especially history, sociology, and current events. He has lifelong interests in U.S. politics, Irish, Irish American history, and North American Indigenous history, and has recently developed an interest in Latin American history and politics. Um, every year for Christmas, I buy him some extra audiobook credits, and I like to include a few recommendations with the gift. He enjoys long books and anything that will give him a case of the did you knows. I, I'm not <laughs> sure what you're talking about here. Any recommendations of books available on audible or liberal.fm that might fit the bill. Thanks so much for doing the holiday recommendation every year. Best, no affirmative consent, but thank you. You're welcome. Let's do it. Rebecca, you're up first. Okay, Even though it's yeah, a I... dad book audiobook situation, <laughs> I'll, I'll graciously cede the floor. We have a couple requests for dad books, and there were a few where I was like, you know what, I got nothing. So I'm glad that I have something topical <laughs> here. Um, it sounds to me like there's just a lot of, there are a lot of ways that this could go, but it sounds to me like dad is left leaning, progressive, and um, one of the, it won't give you a case of the Diginos, but one of the, I think, most important books of this year was She Said by Jody Cantor and Megan Tuohy um, about the process of re- reporting and breaking the Weinstein Me Too story. It's wonderful on audio. Um, so You Want to Talk About Race by Ijeoma Oluo is also really terrific. And I think especially for like a slightly older generation that's probably not as internet-y, probably not as like internet woke um, and learning the way that language and the ways that we're thinking about race are evolving like in real time on the internet. She is a just incredible resource and it's um, a nuanced and like non-judgmental approach to wherever you are in understanding the history of race relations in the country and the way that things are going. Um, if you want to be better about it, there is something for you. And so you want to talk about race. And then just as Jeff was reading the introduction or reading your question here about North American indigenous history, I was reminded of Heartberries um, by Therese Marie Melotte, um, which is just a really beautiful memoir uh, about coming of age. I'm reading from the Amazon description now because it's been a little while since I read it. Um, but coming of age um, on the Seabird Island Band in the Pacific Northwest and uh, wraps into indigenous history, wraps into a lot of things about the natural world. Um, and there's a difficult family story um, here too. So if you're aware that dad has any like uh, sensitivities around things, you might want to screen this one uh, a little bit, but um, a, that's a really wonderful book. And I don't know, just also the, I had a lot here, I guess. The, the um, mm. Good job, dad. Yeah. Good job, dad. The, the kinds of books that you listed for us that dad likes to read also made me think that he might be interested in Unfollow by Megan Phelps Roper. Um, she is the granddaughter or one of the granddaughters of Fred Phelps, who founded Westboro Baptist Church. Uh, in Topeka, Kansas, and uh, notoriously, you know, protested uh, at all kinds of events, all kinds of progressive events against 
gay rights um, and against many, many other things. She grew up in that church. She was very much indoctrinated, but then she got out. Um, she has seen the light. And this is her story. Uh, it's her memoir about growing up in that church and the process of getting out of it. And I think dad might be interested in that too. There are some really stunning uh, facts that aren't necessarily, hey, did you know, kinds of fun things, but are mind blowing. So those are mine. She said is great. Heartberry is great. Um, just double confirmation. She said, especially, uh, specifically asked for audio here, and I did that one on audio and a really good audio mm-hmm. um, for she said, um, I only have one pick because it was so obvious to me what my pick was because it is on my wish list, my own wish list for this year. I have not read it. It just came out November 5th. It's called The Heartbeat of Wounded Knee by David Troyer. Um, it is a history memoir reportage sort of multifactorial look at the history of Native American peoples since 1890, um, which is Wounded Knee, you know, the, the, canonical ver- the canonical history, of course, of Native American history in the U.S. is Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee, which sort of ends with the Battle of Wounded Knee, saying this, that was kind of the end of, I guess, I don't, I don't know, the, the genocidal part, uh, to, for, not, to, not mm. so, to avoid pulling any punches of the Native American story in the U.S., but a lot has happened since 1890. And David Troyer, who's an Ojibwe, a member of the Ojibwe tribe, a novelist, turns his hand to what has been the story of, the, of Native American peoples in the U.S. since 1890. Um, and he, you know, one thing that he does, I am do, one thing he's fighting is something I just did right now is to lump all Native Americans together. Like he takes a tribal sort of lens and looks at different tribes, have different survival techniques, have different fates, um, different relationships to their, you know, last 130 years of being a part and a part from wider United States culture, politics, economics, trends, and history. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. It was already a finalist for the National Book Award in nonfiction. Um, Time just yesterday, or at least I saw yesterday, named it one of the 10 best books of the year. Um, I think for a history buff, left-leaning dad... (coughs) Sorry, it's on my throat there. Um, It sounds like, I think, a must-listen, must-read, must take a look at. So that's my pick. The Heartbeat of Wounded Knee by David Troyer. That sounds great. Um, Before we go any further, Jeff, we should get a sponsor in. Yeah, let's do it. Today's episode is brought to you by Song of the Silks Realms by Judy Eilin. Shi Wei is a talented young musician who was orphaned at a young age. Her sole family is a kindly uncle, but then her uncle is killed and she is, of course, devastated. With no family and no patron, Shi Wei is facing the possibility of a lifetime of servitude playing the chin. Then one night, she is unexpectedly called to perform for the enigmatic Duke Meng. He surprises Shi Wei further with an irresistible offer. Serve as a musician in residence at his manor for one year and he'll set her free of her indenture. But the Duke's motives become increasingly more sus when he and Shuei barely survive an attack by a nightmarish monster. It's like, what, <laughs> what's going on here? So this book is a sweeping epic romanticy that follows a talented young musician who is swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young Duke. And who doesn't want to be swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young Duke? She's living all our dreams, honestly. Make sure to check out the new book. And thanks again to Song of the Six Realms by Judy Eileen for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. 
This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books. And so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish Golden Age during a time of high stakes political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Luzia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Luzia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players. But what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Luzia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive even the help of Guillen Santangel, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So The Familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now. And like I said, it's a must read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at LeeBardugoTheFamiliar.com. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo for sponsoring this episode. <laughs> All right. I think you're up next. All right. Next one. And we don't have affirmative consent here on this person's uh, yep. request. So she's shopping for a younger sister who's currently a high school senior, uh, wants to get her a book. She tends to read YA. She likes the Abby Glines Field Party series and really enjoyed Outsiders by S.E. Hinton when she read it for class. Loves sports, especially basketball. And she's going away to college next year. So we are looking for a book that deals with that transition in some way okay with romance, but doesn't like books that are overwhelmed with it. I think your pick is probably the winner here. So why don't you start? Oh, yeah. Um, I haven't actually read this, but I've heard a lot about it. Uh, and I think maybe at some point I, I will get to it. I like a sports memoir, too. I just realized in looking, it's like, oh, I, I should read more of these. I don't have a basketball one, but Abby Wambach, a member of the U.S. women's uh, national soccer team, wrote this book called Wolfpack. That's, it's about sports and being a member of a team, but also in the ways in which um, that especially applies for women being in the world, especially. We're having a, um, as the title suggests, a group of supportive and proactive, I guess maybe is uh, maybe even defanging it a little bit, group of women in your life. Um, the squad, as the internet would have said six years ago, I don't know if people <laughs> still say that or not. Um but the reviews are really good. I think she's a wonderful personality and inspiring figure. Um, so I think that would be a really good pick. Though it does make me think about a hole here where you asked about the transition to college and books about that. That's rough. I would. I I feel like there should be more of these, don't you, Rebecca? Like I do. So you're a freshman now. Like yeah. how would that not sell a billion <laughs> books every graduation season? If it's it funny and practical and like I would read that right now and I would have loved that at 19. Yeah, That's I would have loved right. it too. I had a really I did not have any immediate answers to this question. I went back through mm. Um, my reading spreadsheet goes back like nine years and I was going back through like, which novels did I read? Which YA did I read? Was there any nonfiction that really addressed this? And there's just super not like there are characters, you know, I've read plenty of books set in college and the character like kind of mentions the transition, but it's not the transition that's the central thing. And actually like the story that is front of mind, this is a small tangent, but the story that's front of mind for me right now is from the plot of Mrs. Fletcher by Tom Parada, where oh, like, Lord. it's I, right. Like it's primarily about the mom who's going through a whole thing after becoming an empty nester. But we see her son who was like a mm. sort of dumb jock. He's a jerk um, in high school, but he like thinks he's a big guy. And when he goes to college, he's struggling with the transition and I'm watching it. There's an HBO adaptation that I'm watching and that like watching him sort of go through that, 
transition is the closest thing to like to anything that I could think of in fiction recently for this. It's tough. I do think there's a hole there. And like, this feels like a job for a comedian, you know, like a comedian who has like, can John Mulaney do a stand up special about the transition to college and then turn it into a book? I think that would be great. Or um, like, I don't know, like I, I was thinking about this too. And in a different life, I'd be like, maybe I would like to write this book when I was mm. a freshman instructor at some point. But like, Someone who's been teaching for a while and has a good sense of humor that's been teaching freshman comp or one of those, like, who's been doing right, this for a while to like, see the, the failure states of freshmen yeah, and how and to are, avoid those pitfalls. Because there are so many elements to it. There's the social and, like, emotional yes. transition, and then there's the academic transition and being an adult by yourself and having to be responsible for all of those things. And um, I would like for this to exist. As you were talking about Abby Wambach and Wolfpack, I was reminded of a great little audio book that I listened to. I think it's available in print, but it's really great on audio. Um, called Dear Madam President by Jennifer, Jennifer Palmieri. Mm. She worked in the Obama administration. And the setup of this book is a letter that she's writing to the young woman out there in the world that she assumes is someday going to be the the president in a world where we mm. have women presidents and that's just a normal thing. Um, and there's a lot of like life wisdom in there and a lot of sort of how to think about the world and how to think about resilience and going through transitions and challenges. It's just good advice. Um, and I, I do think it's geared toward young women in that probably 15 to 22 age range. Um, so I think that would be a solid pick. Um, and it is a beautiful little hardback mm. if you want to give it in print um, or maybe give her both. The audio was really lovely. Um, and I looked through some book riot lists of um, books set on college campuses. And I know that um, Fangirl by Rainbow Rowell is set on a college campus. I don't know. I think it's about a freshman. I don't know how much of the transition is in there. And one that came up um, in a lot of my Googling was We Are Okay by Nina LaCour, which is about a young girl a young woman who has gone through, uh, she's experienced a loss in her life before she travels across the country to go to college. She doesn't talk to anyone from her home once she makes the transition. And I don't have a personal sense. I haven't read it of how much of the book is about grief mm. and how much of it is about being in this new place and that opportunity to reinvent yourself where no one knows you. Um, but I think that that might be worth looking at. It has really incredible reviews. I'll give you the four pieces of advice I gave my freshman once upon a time on the first week of class, and you can pass this along if you'd like or not, a uh, person who we will not use their name <laughs> even though maybe we could. One, um, study three hours a day whether or not you have something due or not. Just make mm. it a part of your day. Look, that's number one. Two, only go out on Friday and Saturday nights. It's all right to go out. Just go out on Friday and Saturday. Once you're going out on Tuesday and Wednesday, trouble that way lies. Third one, don't flunk out. Don't worry about your GPA your freshman year, but do not flunk out. C's are all right, F's are not. And finally, do not do hard drugs. That's all I'm going to say. Those are, those are my, if you could do those four things, your chances of making through your freshman year, I'd say, are like 90%. Um, so anyway, th take that for what, for what it's worth. That's, that's, my, um, that's my query letter. I just wrote it for my <laughs> book called How Not to Flunk Out of College Before December. If you're an agent listening to this show and you would like us to that's write right. this book together, please give us a call. <laughs> I think that's all I got. I'm out. I, yeah, I'm out too. This should if yeah. you're I think this is one I would love some follow up on. I so would listeners, too. if you know of a great book 
for this person or a great book about the transition to college, please shout us out, podcast at bookriot.com. Send us an email and we will give follow-up recommendations for these on the show because we're I, it feels like we're pretty stumped. Yeah. Uh, these books also, that book is all the characters that have, in all the college novels we've ever read should have read that because they all needed the same, that <laughs> Every, advice. Everybody, like the secret history doesn't exist if they had a freshman no. uh, Special teacher. topics and calamity <laughs> visits, nothing. There's nothing <laughs> right. there. All right. Uh, hi, Jeff and Rebecca. I'm looking for some book recommendations for my younger brother. A lot of younger brothers, stepbrothers inter- this year, it mm-hmm. feels like, who is a junior in college in the past year has been, as he says, getting into books. He's a college soccer player with the hopes of playing professionally, so he's been reading a lot of motivational books. Recently, he's been asking me for fiction recommendations. I'm not quite sure where to start. I recommended The Martian to him since I thought he'd enjoy the combination of humor, suspense, and adventure. Uh, when he read as a kid, he liked the Alex Ryder series by Anthony Horowitz, and I think he would like something kind of similar as adult, something that's fast-paced and full of adventure. Also, um, also, I'd love to be able to give him a book he'd love that's written by a woman or an author of color, since I don't, rec- I don't want to recommend only books by straight white men to my straight white brother. Very fair. One piece of information I didn't get here that would have been helpful, did he like The Martian? I don't mm-hmm. know. It said you recommended, but he did like it. I assumed, since you mentioned The Martian, that it wasn't a complete crash and burn <laughs> of a recommendation, but that could be a, a, a false assumption. Rebecca, uh, what did you pick for Okay, so I seized on the part in the top of the letter where she says that he's been reading a lot of motivational books, and then I stuck that together with wanting to give him books by women and people of color. So my first pick is The Power of Meaning by Emily S. Fahani-Smith. This came out a couple of years ago. The subtitle kind of tells you everything you know. It's Finding Fulfillment in a World Obsessed with Happiness. Um, This is really practical. It's a mix of sociology, um, deep research where she's pulled to, she's synthesizing a lot of research in this book about what is it that makes us satisfied and fulfilled in our lives. And the acorn the acorn the nutshell i it's early jeff um, kernel seed. <laughs> the kernel that's it the kernel that were the kernel of um the message is trying to find things that make you happy is not the way to have a life that's fulfilling and satisfying it's trying to find the things that give your life meaning understanding what gives your life meaning and purpose and then doing those things and building a life around that is the thing that will make you feel satisfied and fulfilled and that happiness is like actually a relatively stable state in most people we have our general baseline and that as long as you are healthy and your personal amount of happiness is going to be relatively stable. So trying to toggle that, trying to change that um, is running on a treadmill. And of course, this is like what conspicuous consumption works Mm. on. Um, But that the thing that makes us really feel good about our lives is meaning. Um, This is advice that I wish I had gotten when I was 20. Um, Also, also I think Bored and Brilliant um, by Manoush Somarodi is a a good pick for him if he's interested in stuff like the four-hour work week and the the laws of nature and like how to be a productive human. And this is about not – it's not anti-technology, but it's about changing your relationship to – um, technology and allowing yourself to be bored sometimes to like not pick up your phone every time you're in a lull so that the mind can wander and you can have new creative ideas. Um, I didn't have any good fiction recommendations that reminded me of like the excitement of the Martian, but I just read a galley of a book. I'm sorry it doesn't come out until February, but I think you should keep it on your list for your brother. 
called The Adventurer's Son by Roman Dial. Uh, this is a father's memoir about uh, about his family and his son. The parents are both like very adventurous. They're scientists. They raise their children to love the outdoors, to also be very adventurous. And when his 27-year-old son went to Costa Rica um, for a solo backpacking trip, he disappeared. And oh. I know, Jeff, this is like your heart is not. This is why I don't go outside. Re- okay, <laughs> finish the recommend. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. He Sorry. disappeared. Um, and this is the father's story of their family life, of raising him, and of all the adventures that they had as a family, and then also of trying to solve the mystery of what happened to his son. Um, it, like, I burned through it. it. It's so compelling. And so if you're just looking for something to get him hooked, um, like make a note or buy him a gift card for The Adventure Your Son by Roman Dial. What do you have? I did one of each. I did the Martian read-alike kind of thing and then the motivational thing. Um, for the Martian read-alike, again, nothing like the Martian. Um, if there were, I would have read it right. uh, myself a million times. But something that scratches a similar itch and it has the virtue of being the first in a, a three-part series. So if he's getting into books, one of the hard things about getting into books is staying into books. Like, what are you going to read next after the first thing? Like, I think part of getting into books is really developing a process by which you find your next read and you source in th- things you're interested in. So that one thing is like, here's one. If he likes this, he can read the next two in the series. It's Sleeping Giants by Sylvain Nouvelle. Um, it's, it's, it's a bit more speculative, well, a lot more speculative sci-fi <laughs> than The Martian, which is near-term hard science-y science fiction, like The Martian uses technology that doesn't quite exist uh, or quite exist in the way it would need to for this to happen, but it could in the near future, um, as Andy Weir said. Well, this is more speculative where it tries to use some science, but the the big what-if is like, what if there were these giant robots (laughs) buried all over the globe that were suddenly discovered and a team of... U.S. people were trying to wake them up, figure out what's going on, as are other countries at the same time. Um, I thought it's really fun. It's smart. Nouvelle is a, is a, has a PhD. I think he's an active professor of linguistics. I don't remember off the top of my head if it's practicing or lapsed, like some of us might be in the, in the academic world. Um, but it's really smart. He's, the stuff about how the, the robots, like, glyphs and language works is some of the best, most interesting part, because clearly Nouvelle really cares about that. And it's a really fun page-termer. It's not very long. All three in the series are out, so Neil's Razor is satisfied. You're not going to cut yourself with that. Um, So that's a really fun one to read on a cold uh, winter's evening and and rip through it. The other one on the motivational tip is The Master Plan by Chris Wilson, which if you listen to Annotated, you might have heard me talk to Chris Wilson about his life and his book. Basically, Chris Wilson was convicted of murder and sentenced to a life in prison when he was, I think, 16. And this is the story of him in prison and developing a plan built around books and self-improvement that got him out of prison eventually. And I recommend the book heartily. I wish it was a book people knew more about. Um, You can find uh, my interview with Chris if you're interested in it or or your... um, your uh, younger brother reads the book and becomes interested in it. Fascinating guy, fascinating story, both a frustrating and sad and also uplifting story at the same time. It's got the sweet and sour um, Mm -hmm. in it, and I heartily recommend The Master Plan by Chris Wilson. 
Uh, it's also really interesting in audio, too. I'm not sure if that's something that's available here. I think we're going to work off the assumption in this day and age that most people are at least amenable to the idea of audio, even if they don't ultimately pick it up. So yeah, I think that's if, fair. If we've done on audio, too. Okay, moving right along. The next one um, I will read because this is... Oh, I should have said just because you asked. Chris Wilson's black. I, I ah, just yes. they, Since you expressly put it in there, I, I want to expressly mention that too. Right. And my first two, um, Power of Meaning and Bored and Brilliant, are both by women of color. Okay. Uh, okay. So, Jeff, this one is all you. Uh, this oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I lost. Is uh, looking for a good, serious historical biography for somebody this year. He's been a big fan of the Ron Chernow books about Washington, Hamilton, Titan, and generally likes presidential bios. Having trouble determining what some of the newer buzzed about biographies, which ones of those might be good for him to check out. I'll just be over here making shruggy things. <laughs> uh- I've done two of these three with a third on my list. These aren't presidential bios, and they're, none of them are 2019 books. Um, I think the oldest of these is a 2015 book, so I'm not sure how newer figures in, but I'll give a few. The, the dad book of dad books of late in this vein was Leonardo da Vinci by Walter Isaacson, a giant magisterial biography of um, this person you may have heard of called Leonardo da Vinci. It's great. It's it's what you, I think, want from one of these kinds of... If you want this kind of book, this is what you want from it. I'm not sure it's the most radical or interesting or, you know, revisionist uh, take on Leonardo da Vinci. But if you want a giant biography about anyone in history that's sort of straight ahead, I think it might be da Vinci, actually. An interesting guy, an interesting part of history and just a a foundational figure in our our idea about what ideas are, weirdly. Um, so I really recommend that one. A little bit of a... If, if there's a Da Vinci that's overlooked, it's probably Alexander von Humboldt, who is a famous, um, though not as well-known as maybe could be, naturalist, um, who became to prominence at the very beginning of our idea about naturalism and the natural sciences. Um, and The Invention of Nature by Andrea Wolf is a giant biography of him. Really interesting guy, really interesting part of history that I don't know where uh, this person is in their academic training, but if you're a humanist, you kind of missed a lot of the humanist origins and underpinnings of the natural sciences in the 19th century, especially in England and Europe. Really interesting there, too. And then probably the most lauded one, and I haven't gotten it to it yet because I'm I'm sort of girding my loins because I know it's a, a journey, is uh, Frederick Douglass, Prophet of Freedom by David Blight. And I think that came out last year, which is a giant, magisterial, comprehensive biography of one of the seminal figures in the story uh, of African-American life in the U.S., um, lauded from here to eternity. Those are my three picks. Pick which one or all of them that sounds more like something this person you're buying for would be interested in. If it's if it's more presidential, that means sort of to me US history, go with Frederick Douglass. If it's the Cherno style, I think the blight is more is a little more academic than the Cherno style tends to be. I'm not sure. Um if if it's more the Cherno than the presidential, I think I'd go Walter Isaacson. And if it's learn something you didn't know, go Alexander Van Humboldt, The Invention of Nature, um, by Andrea Wolf. Those are my picks. A plus. Okay, I th- this year Jeff recommended. Oh, last year 
This person wrote in, and Jeff recommended Wedding Toast I'll Never Give by Ada Calhoun. <laughs> this is a fun book uh, for someone looking <laughs> to give their newly married friends. As of October 22, and I will be newly married. So I read the book and loved it. Great rec. Thank you very much. You're welcome. I recommend if you have any more. Uh, this is weird that I'm in the, the position of getting recs for people who are married. Um, but anyway, <laughs> anyway uh, Rebecca, lead us off. I also really loved Wedding Toast I'll Never Give. Um, I, this is something that I do love to read about. So Hourglass by Danny Shapiro is kind of similar to Wedding Toast I'll Never Give. Um, she's been married for decades, and this is a long look back at um, at her marriage, at how you navigate a, a marriage, a, basically any long-term relationship with another human. And she's a poet as well. So the the language, the story is really, really beautiful. On the practical tip, and this might be perfect for while you're still engaged, How to Be Married by Joe Piazza, which I think I might have mentioned when we got a similar question about this last year. Um, she was in her mid-30s when she met a man. Three months later, they got engaged. And it, then it was like, okay, but what are we going to do? Like, How do we form a relationship and really understand what marriage is about? And they had the privileged position of being able to travel a lot. So they travel to five different places and ask the like ask the local people but also sort of like the local experts whether they are um shaman or clergy members or uh, man she t- they talk to all kinds of people about what's your advice for having a successful marriage and they in, they do end up incorporating some of the, those practices into their relationship like in one place they meet someone who says um you take 10 minutes every day where each of you talks for five minutes about whatever you're thinking about or feeling without the other one interrupting. Um, and there's like all, there's a whole bunch of little juicy, useful nuggets in there that if you're looking for like practices to build into your relationship from the start that will keep you talking to your partner and keep communication open. That's a really, um, I think there's just good nuggets to find in there. It's not written as a self-help book. It's written as her talking about like the advice that she got and what was useful for her and her partner. But I think you can glean things that are useful for you from it. And also on like the practical tip, um, if I'm assuming that when you're talking about marriage, you're probably also implying monogamy is um, Mating in Captivity by Esther Perel. She is a therapist and a sex researcher. And this is about how do you keep desire alive in a domestic situation because desire it thrives on mystery and marriage is about um, settling, not settling, settling down. <laughs> marriage is about um, being settled. Honesty, openness, and transparency, I think, are the words you were looking for there, Rebecca. <laughs> Was that a Freudian slip? Um, marriage, <laughs> is, <laughs> marriage is about... Um, kind of things that stand in opposition to desires, like consistency and reliability and predictability, knowing what's coming Mm. next. And so how do you balance the tension between those and keep desire alive, keep the mystery, you know, keep the spark. Ultimately, she has wonderful practical advice and um, she also has a really incredible accent. So this is fun on audio. Um, And if you are just interested in these kinds of things, Esther Perel also has a great podcast called Where Shall We Begin? Where each episode is like a one or two hour uh, window into an opening therapy session with a different couple. And the couples, of course, have given their consent to be recorded. And you get to just hear all kinds of people going, talking about their relationships and sorting through stuff. It's very, I just find that to be uh, very validating of just the varieties of human experience and the things that people struggle with as individuals and in relationships. Um, my pick is, I just realized I want, this is the book I want for freshmen 
but mm. called, called Freshmanology. But this one's called Marriageology. It just came out this summer. The Art and Science of Staying Together by Belinda Luscombe, I believe, L-U-S-C-O-M-B-E. Uh, it's, it's a... Basically, what it's trying to do is like, what does behavioral science tell us about how to stay together, but also why people who are married live longer and tend to report higher levels of happiness than people aren't? Um, and Luscombe herself... There's there's a, there's a version of these things, and I think especially in the self help genre that come can come across as sort of holier thou and smug as like if only you did mm-hmm. these things you would be mm-hmm. as good and productive and together as I am. That is not Luscombe's tact. She's had her own trouble, including trying to decide how and if to tell her partner that you she lost seventy thousand dollars. So Whoa. they're very very much in the I've been in the hole and let me help you figure a way out of your hole um, uh, kind of tactic, but. You know, kind of centers around the four F words familiarity, fighting, finances, family, fooling around, and finding help. How do you navigate those things that can be pitfalls, but also ladders out of the pit that you've fallen into <laughs> in these particular things? There's facts, there's suggestions, there's research, there's debunking of myths, all the things you kind of want in a situation like that. So, Marriageology by Belinda Luscombe. Belinda Luscombe, if you'd like to write one about freshmen in college, we will recommend that on a future show as well. I think you got a nice pack. We have a nice pack of recommendations there yeah. um, for reading about marriage, including wedding toasts I'll never give as well. Okay. This is my read, Rebecca? Uh, I think it's my I read. I can't Sorry. remember. Okay. Yeah, well, let's um, do a sponsor real quick first. Sponsor, and then we'll come back. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Taming Seven is an epic and unforgettable love story in the international best-selling and TikTok phenomenon, The Boys of Tom and series from Chloe Walsh. So Tommen's cheekiest lad, Jared Gibsy Gibson, has always been a comedian, but inside he is haunted by events of the past and he uses humor to cope, hiding his true self from the world. Then you have Claire Biggs, who is the epitome of sunshine. She's always loved Gibsy, her brother's friend and her favorite neighbor. She also has always seen a side to him that no one else seems to notice, and she becomes determined to tame her wild-at-heart childhood best friend. So The Boys of Tom and Series is an internationally best-selling YA romance series that has taken TikTok by storm. It's perfect for readers looking for new adult slash crossover romance, dual point of views, friends to lovers, marathon worthy TikTok books, and angsty tearjerkers. Taming Seven is published today and it's the fifth book in the series. So make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated. So Negative Space by Jillian Linden follows a week in the life of an English teacher at a New York private school. At home, her children ask constant questions about mortality and her husband offers occasional counsel between Zoom calls. At school, something happens. She accidentally witnesses an ambiguous, possibly inappropriate interaction between a teacher and a student. But how can she be sure of what she saw? Negative Space is a portrait of a woman caught between the pressures of what's normal and what isn't, and examines what we owe the people who depend on us in a fractured and indifferent world. It's a debut novel and a short novel. It's perfect if you want something quick and easy to carry around, but it's also thought-provoking. It takes place during the pandemic, but it's not pandemic-focused, and it really just looks at everyday anxieties and low-threat situations that have high consequences. So make sure to check out Negative Space by Jillian Linden. And thanks again to W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated for sponsoring this episode. 
Okay, your read. Sorry about that. All right. This next person, uh, this is one of uh, the two first because they're asking for a gift rack and some things for themselves. But first up, recommendations for mom who always wanted a career in medicine but took care of her sick kid who was our listener. Glad you are well and with us, listener, um, and got a job in an office instead. and mom loved the books that we recommended years ago when uh, when this listener wrote in. So this year, uh, she's starting our listeners starting classes to leave her 15-year career of professional corporate writing for a career in medicine. Mom is encouraging and supportive of me doing what she was unable to do. Any recommendations for someone undergoing a complete mid-career change or for mom and daughter to read together for a shared love of medicine and caregiving? For reference, they are huge Atul Gawande fans and have read all of his books. Thanks for letting us know because I think that's probably where we would have gone first. Yes, And yes. Uh, then second, uh, this person is also looking for recommendations for good food writing for a friend who is looking for some since she loved blood bones and butter. So let's do um, medicine slash mid-career slash mom and daughter. Um, uh, I, I wasn't sure to do with the caregiving bit, but, but the, first, the, the, the cancer, Gawande, in that mode um, of doctors writing about medicine that my brain went to the neuroscientist who lost her mind by Barbara Lipska, which came out last year. The story of a doctor who got brain cancer that affected her personality and her cognitive ability in severe ways, but ultimately she survives it. Um, it talks about the cancer process, but also the process of not having your wits about you in that process and her husband and doctors and where the state of cancer care is. A harrowing but ultimately hopeful look at the state of medicine. So both a great read. It's about a woman and her immediate family and her own journey, which you you and your mom might like. But as someone who's going into medicine, maybe also a, a hopeful story about what medicine can do now. So that that's my pick on that front. On the tra- career transition, one of my favorites about this, Hammerhead by Nina McLaughlin, who was a journalist who... Basically, one day was thinking, I need to change of career, responded to an ad for a carpenter's assistant, and made a transition to be a professional carpenter and contractor. Um, and a relationship between McLaughlin, the author, and I can't remember the woman's name who hired her, mm. is one of the, I don't know, more interesting and subtle kind of mentor-mentee relations yeah. I've read in a memoir in a while. And I really love that book. It's also short. Be a great read-along together. I just love that book. So I'm recommending yeah, I'm Hammerhead so by Nina mad. McLaughlin, too. I'm so mad that you thought of that one before I did. The sure sign of victory is when you make the other person <laughs> angry with your recommendation. I feel this way all the time. It really is. That's a perfect mid-career. I think it, it is like the platonic ideal of a mid-career life change novel or memoir. So, so good. Um, That tipped me off to Killing It by Kamas Davis, which is a similar story. She was a journalist and decided that she wanted to stop being the person writing the story and start being the person in the story. Um, And that the thing she really wanted to do was make something. Then she got interested in butchery. So she goes to, I believe it's France, um, lives for quite a while with a family that are uh, pig farmers and butchers and they they do the whole they raise the pigs they butcher them in these like very traditional artisanal ways with a lot of respect um, for the animal and a lot of great care 
and she is she become this just discovers that this is her passion. She comes back to the U.S. and starts doing this as her life. Now she lives in Portland, Jeff, and she oh um, yeah, I don't and think she I knew that she hmm. runs like a Portland um, like ethical butchery co op kind of situation, educating people and doing all sorts of things. Um, it's a big book. It's like a four or five hundred page memoir. Um, there mm. is just a ton of great personal stuff in there, and then also a lot of like food history. Um, but I think I don't know about it as like a read along. I found it fascinating as a person who likes this kind of as a, like I love this kind of story about someone's life, but I also really love like food culture and cooking history and those kinds of things. Um, but it's a it's a great story, and she does a lot of reflection too about what was driving her to change careers. And she was also um, in her mid thirties, so I think this is a place, just a place in life where apparently women make career changes. And there are some good books about it. So I think you might like that. Um, I'm going to take the food writing one first, because this is a place that, that mm-hmm. we have a lot of overlap. So I just yes. want to go first. Um, Buttermilk Graffiti by Edward Lee is one of my favorites of the last few years, probably one of our collective favorites on this show. Um, he goes on a road trip to, I think, 16 different American cities trying to understand what melting pot cuisine means now. What does what does it mean when you bring people from a ton of different cultures into one place and they assimilate in a variety of ways what happens to their food culture, to their cooking culture, as ingredients that are available in the place that they're from are not available necessarily in this new place? How do um, their traditional dishes change and evolve and which ones persist and how do different food cultures get mixed together and what does food mean in American culture and in the ways that our cultures mix. It's just fascinating. His writing is really, really beautiful. Um, I think as a food writer, Edward Lee is the closest thing that I found to the way that Bourdain wrote about food. Um, I think he's a better writer than Bourdain myself. I agree. But but Mm -hmm. that's a different situation. Yeah. There's less uh, performance to it. I think, uh, to the writing, to get introduced to a bunch of great food writers that you might not have been familiar with, pick up the Best American Food Writing anthologies. They just started them last year. So there's only two. You can pick up 2018's, which I believe was edited by Ruth Reichel. And then this year's was, was. edited by Samin Nosrat. Um, they are both wonderful. They're packed with all kinds of stories from the last year um, about food and eating. And many, many of those folks have written books um, or you can find uh, other collections of their work online. So if you want to help this friend discover a bunch of food writers, really hard to do better than Best American Food Writing. Um, And Taste of Country Cooking by Edna Lewis is one that I just came across earlier this year. I believe that the edition that I found is a new hardcover edition, I think for the 30th anniversary. Um, She's a black woman whose family is from Virginia. She spent her whole life in Virginia. And the book is set up in seasons where she's writing about both the foods that she grew up eating and the sense memories tied to those seasons. And it also includes recipes. But um, she has ancestors, makes it sound like it happened a really long time ago. People only one or two generations above her were enslaved in the South um, and others obviously experienced uh, the culture around that growing up in Virginia being black people. Uh, And that experience also infuses the food that was available to them and the importance that their food had in their families. It's really, really remarkable. Um, I think I've recommended this one before either in the, well, let's see, when did this come out? I guess, no, I, I, 
I guess I must have recommended it or mentioned it um, for our dads and grad sh- moms, dads and grad show in the spring. Notes from a young black chef by Kwame An- mm-hmm. <coughs> excuse me Anwachi. Um, so on the buds, uh, buds, bones, blood and butter tip. One thing that's fun about that book, not only she's a wonderful writer and you know it's a great story, is the coming up from not being in food to being in food and having some success. Kind of a I don't know, Horatio Alger, but mm. with a butcher's knife's kind of angle. And that's what this is. Uh, Anwachi started out, you know, basically just looking for a, a job, right? Um, he was first exposed to cooking in his little Bronx apartment, started in the bowels of these like oil tanker ships, just sort of washing dishes all the way to winning a James Beard Award. And that kind of every rung of the ladder story is really fascinating. Um, the other one that just came out, and I have not read it, but I'm going to, is Burn the Place by Alana Reagan, which is has, I think, the spiritual successor to, to Bones, Blood, and mm-hmm. Butter. You know, uh, I'm reading it right now. Oh, you take it then, because if you said, <laughs> say, I'll, I'll, I'll get, pass the baton to you. Am I right oh, to recommend this at this point? I'm only, I read I'm only like 20% okay. into it. But well, that's, it, more, that's 20% more than I am. <laughs> Right now, she's still in her childhood, um, but talking mm. about, I just got through the scene of like, and this is the moment I became a chef, which is after her father has, like, her father has taken her out in the woods to go find chanterelle mushrooms and yeah. like, found a bunch of them and come home and he has let her help clean them. I think she's like seven, maybe. And they've cleaned the mushrooms. He has a pan that has like onions, red wine, and a whole bunch of butter. And then... She stands there in the kitchen while the mushrooms hit the hot butter and he pours the red wine into them and the whole place lights up with smell and she like something happens in her soul that is about food. Um, and it's, uh, it's gritty. Like it starts off gritty. I think it's probably going to stay gritty. Um, and I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I'm excited to like okay. get to how does this person like become a chef? Um, but the yeah. childhood stuff is great. One note on these, I think we might have to elevate buttermilk graffiti to our, I don't know. Um, Swiss Army Rex. Default, yeah, Swiss Army Rex. Kind of, you know, like a while ago, it's been, man, man, probably they did this 25 years ago in Wheel of Fortune, where, you know, on the final the final puzzle, you get to pick your letters, and everyone was picking RSTL and E because those are the most common letters. So eventually, like, we're just going to give you RSTL. It's not interesting. This <laughs> right. We're just going to give you the Night Circus. We're going to give you Buttermilk Graffiti. We're going to give you Gilead. You know, we're going to give you mm-hmm. the Martian. Right? Just some of these, like, these are standing wrecks. If, when in doubt, here is our RSTL and E of recommendations. I think Buttermilk Graffiti, we've recommended it enough now, and it fits enough recommendation requests. Yeah. That's the other thing that, like, just take right. that one. We don't even, we're not going to burn a pick on that. Just take that. And run with it. So, anyway. Okay. My read here, I believe. Um, For my birthday, I got all these books about books, and I'm obsessed. Do you have any recommendations, nonfiction and fiction set in libraries, with book lovers or bookshops? My favorite have been The Diary of a Bookseller and The Girl Who Reads on the Metro. Thanks for your podcast. Uh, Boy, talk about wheelhouse. I had to, like, keep this under control. (laughs) So, uh, why why don't you go first? All right. Um, my first pick was The Storied Life of A.J. Fickery. It is a yeah. sweet, just like tender novel about a like kind of cranky middle-aged man who lives alone. He's running a bookstore on an island, kind of like near Martha's Vineyard. And mm-hmm. a mysterious package appears at the bookstore 
that um, changes the shape of his life and his family. And he is not forever alone and cranky is kind of all I'll say without spoiling it. It's really wonderful. Um, Tons of good nuggets in there too about loving books and the books that he loves and his relationship with the books and being in the bookstore and like children growing up in bookstores. And then I I feel like 84 Charing Cross Road is like just one of the canonical recommendations for books about books and bookstores. That's um, a collection of letters between Is it two bookstore owners? It's been a while since I read it. Or like a customer and an owner of a bookstore who have this friendship that develops as they write letters back and Mm. back and forth to each other um, about their reading lives functionally. It's been a while, but that's just a, that's a great one. Uh Also a good movie. Oh, I haven't seen it. Actually, and then You've Got Mail is essentially a remake Mm, update of 80, it's like a blend of 84 Charing Cross Road and Pride. Anyway, that's a I'm yeah, that's good. Sorry. Your picks here are are better than mine, so take it away. No, come on. Yours, those I would have gone story life of AG. It's sweet too. Like that, <laughs> that that's it's what really you wanted sweet. from one of these. Mm-hmm. It's really sweet. Um for a little more, I don't know, edge, mystery. These are both really mysteries. I didn't think about this till I, I picked it. Um my go-to pick in this category is Mr. Penumbra's 24-hour bookstore by Robin Sloan. Someone gets a job in this sort of seemingly sleepy bookstore. But really, that seemingly sleepiness is a front for mystery, magic, secret societies of book people. And to say more about it would be to spoil the pleasure of discovery (laughs) about it. Um, A little more, well, if you really want to sink your teeth into it, it sounds like you're looking for volume. And I'm going to recommend one that each book is long, but then there's a bunch, several, I guess, um, installments. It's the first book is The Shadow and the Wind, Carlos Ruiz Zafon, Zafon's um, first book in the, what's that? Oh, no. What's the series called? Uh, oh, I don't Cemetery remember. of the Forgotten Book. The Cemetery of Forgotten Books. Um, and the, the hook here is the son of a bookstore owner, I think the kid's name is Daniel, picks out this book off the shelf, which is like the last book by this obscure author and... In the course of looking for other volumes or books by this guy, he discovers that someone's out there destroying, trying to trying to mm-hmm. take wipe this dude off the map. And Daniel starts to wonder why, gets involved in it, and it just races off from there. I think there are boy, are there four books in this series now? Um, I, don't know. I was trying. Is O'Neill's razor satisfied? Oh no, I may have to we may have to cancel the episode and burn the house down. Also, um, the shadow of the wind stands by itself really beautifully, though. That great point. Thank you for getting me out of a hole I was digging for myself, <laughs> Rebecca Shinsky. Um, but look, if you like the book, who cares at this point? Go read Shadow of the Wind and Mister Penumbra's Twenty Four. But eighty four Cherry Cross Road. But I think Storied Life of A.G. Fickery is there's a there's this is, there's a bad genre of books about bookstores and books, frankly, that I don't love that mm-hmm. tend to, to be on the two, like books are magic. And if we and just too read sweet. the same books together, yeah. they're too sweet. Where Story Life of A.J. Fickery has just enough edge. A.J. Fickery has a little, he's kind of a sourpuss, which, which cuts the Cantankerous, sweetness. Cantankerous, yeah. Yes, yes. So um, one thing I like about that. Also, I think one thing that cuts the sweetness of You've Got Mail is uh, Joe Fox's, you know, acerbicness, right? Mm-hmm. You need a little you need a little edge. There's a little bit of edge. And the edge provided by Shadow and Wind and Mr. Penumbra's 24-hour bookstore is not a personality but of mystery and danger. Yeah. Um, so anyway, there's that. 
Your read? I should keep track of this better. By the time we're done giving your recs, I forgot who talked last. It is my read. Um, And this is somebody who's shopping for a friend who reads a lot of modern romance. She likes authors uh, Lauren Lane and Christina Lauren and is hoping to gift her some modern romance written by women of color. We know that the person likes Alicia Rye and we're looking for some other suggestions. So I think this might be all me. Yeah, I should have done the read because I got nothing for you. (laughs) That's all right. Um, I got three authors for you, all of whom have had books that I loved. Um, Jasmine Guillory, whose first one is The Wedding Date, um, a a great sort of modern rom-com about a the meet cute happens in the elevator of a hotel. The woman is going to meet her friend, her, going to meet her sister. The hero of the story is attending uh, his best friend's wedding, and, and the best friend is like marrying his ex or something like that. The ex is going to be at the wedding. And the guy, they get stuck in an elevator together. They kind of, you know, hit it off a little bit. And the guy asks the heroine of the story if she will be his date for the wedding that weekend Mm. so that he's not alone and so that it's less awkward and things take off from there. Um, In the tradition of romances, one of the side characters from the wedding date becomes the star of the next book, The Proposal, and the series kind of has built itself from there. But they're all really great. I think there's five. I think Jasmine Guillory has five books out now it's either four or five Mm. those are excellent um Alyssa cole is another wonderful woman of color who's writing she writes kind of all a variety of genres in romance the ones that i've um really loved are a princess in theory and um a prince on paper those are in the reluctant royals series but she has some historical romances there's a new one called once ghosted twice shy which is a novella in her reluctant royal series i have not read that yet but that's a queer love story. And so you are getting all kinds of great um, new perspectives that not, you know, not new perspectives, but um, stories that aren't often told or aren't told often enough, especially in the romance genre. So that's really terrific from her. And then Helen Wong wrote um, The Kiss Quotient and the newer book is called The Bride Test. Uh, And those books both feature protagonists who are not neurotypical in different ways um, and who are also people of color. So you get, again, sort of multiple um, perspectives from identities that aren't often represented in romance. So that's Jasmine Guillory, Alyssa Cole, and Helen Wong. Okay. Um, dear Jeff and Rebecca, I always take the opportunity to ask you questions. Bah, 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 bah. Uh, this time I'm asking for my dad. He's a slightly above average reader, 10-ish books a year. Good job, dad. And seems to like lengthy historical sagas, but the last two years I've been missing the mark with him. He loved the Barkskins, which is where my mind went first, and mm. I had it down. I realized that you had said that. Um but didn't make it through the luminaries, which I kind of understand. That's a tougher book. Love 6-4 hated a constellation of vital phenomena. It gave him Pure and Wolf Hall for Christmas last year, and he finished them, especially enjoyed the time period of Wolf Hall, but found the writing off-putting. His all-time favorites are Lonesome Dove, uh, Amor Towels. I've never said that word out. His I think name it's Tolls. Tolls, Amor Tolls, and Anything Can Fall It. So kind of knocked off the Rushmore of of the big historicals here. My sense is he loves a good period piece with great characters, but he views complex literary fiction prize-esque style writing as he gets the way of a good story. Um, being the absolute opposite, opposite kind of reader, I would use some help and guidance <laughs> in the right directions this December. All right, thanks. Happy holidays. You okay. start this one. Um, I've got two picks. One is off the... I think maybe out of print. You have to you have to you have to ABE books it or something. Beyond the Bedroom Wall by Larry Y. Woody. Um, hmm. It's a big, hist- it's a historical epic, but small in scale about a family. 
Um, it came out in the 70s, I think. Three Generations of Families. Yeah, 1975. Um, about the New Miller family. But it's a sweeping family saga. So not a history, but it's a family's story as a angle of telling the wider story of being a part of the Great Plains, really the, the second wave of domestication of the Great... Domestication, that's a violent word, but of the colonization of the Great Plains that happened sort of 1920 and after. Um, so like this family made by the process of colonizing and, and farming and apportioning the Great Plains. It was, it was recommended to me by one of my favorite English professors, so I think of it fondly in that regard, too. Um, but let me just say, you're not going to find it other people picking Beyond the Bedroom Wall by Larry Wywood. It's 625 pages of Montana family story by, frankly, an author that's been lost to the great shuffle of time, but a really interesting pick, too. Um, not quite a huge historical genre, but it sounds like it might pick... Uh, sorry, my second pick is something that's not as long as it sounds like your your dad might want. It's 368 pages. So on the longer side, it's not short by any stretch of the imagination. It's A Roundhouse by Louise Erdrich, which is mm. the story of a family on an Ojibwe reservation. But you get great characters, you get great plot, but you also get that thing that you also want from this kind of thing of like learning about what it felt like, what the story of a people and a time and a place was. Um, and it's... Erdrich can be a practitioner, I think, of the kind of literary writing your dad doesn't like. But I think The Roundhouse is the most accessible of her writing. And I was I was going through the reviews to say, is this a hard, is this a literary, is this a lit fic book? It is, but it's on the readable side of lit fic from what, you know, I don't trust my own. <laughs> I totally I don't agree. trust my own radar because I, I like the literary fiction price. I'm like, I thought it was great. Ergo, other people should think it was great. But I think in looking at some secondary sources of reviews, I think it's firmly on the side that your dad likes. So that's my second pick, The Roundhouse by Louis Erdrich. I think that's a solid pick. It's very readable. Okay. Um, okay, let's see. I also am not – I'm not really the kind of reader that your dad is. Yeah. So I, I reached a little bit. But for multi-generational sort of family story set in a particular place in time, Pachinko by Min Jin Lee, one of the biggest books of either 2017 or 2018 of the last couple of years, um, follows a Korean family for several generations. And you get a lot of history, a lot of great family stuff in there too. It's not a humongous book. Um, and it was just – well and widely read by all kinds of people, like one of the popular book club picks of the year, but also really well reviewed, um, had that magical alchemy of both critical and commercial success. I think that that um, might be a good place for your dad to go just in the vein of big, juicy novels. Um, this year, I really liked The Most Fun We Ever Had by Claire Lombardo, which is um, a couple generations of a family perspectives from a bunch of the, the different siblings and the parents and the history of just this family. This is domestic life literary fiction, but in, also incredibly readable. It's over 500 pages. It's a big book, um, but I really, really enjoyed it. And one of those like lit fic novels that does a slice of life, like just right into the good stuff, the ugly stuff, the complications and complexities of family. 
for a little bit of a combo there, just a more contemporary history. The Great Believers by Rebecca Mackay is set in Chicago and moves between the present day and the 1980s um, about the gay community, both characters mm. in the midst of the 1980s AIDS crisis and then characters in uh, present day, essentially, who are connected to some of those same characters or some of them lived through the AIDS crisis and are um, reflecting back on it, living their lives now. And so you get... Um, um, what that period of time was um, in the 80s, particularly in Chicago, which has which had and has a really thriving gay community, and then a look at how things have changed and how things haven't changed in the last 30 years. So also, whether dad is open to reading a story like that or not, um, you can take that or leave it, but a really, really terrific novel. Okay, um, your read, I believe. Okay, this person is um, vending, they veer towards nonfiction and memoirs, so they're always looking for fiction recommendations. Some recent favorites are Chemistry by Wakey Wang, Fleischman is in Trouble, Goodbye Vitamin, and Normal People by Sally Rooney. Love the show. Thanks for all you do. Um, okay, let's see. I also, hmm, you want to go? Should I go? Where are we? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go. I'm, yeah. So I was trying to pick up on the vibe of those four mm-hmm. picks because it's just a bullet list, not describing. So contemporary, not super heavy, smart, lit fic by women. Is that where is am I am I in the I right so. genre? Do you think mm-hmm. here? Yeah. So I think just get on board the Celest Ang train. Just yeah. do little fires everywhere. Um, everything I never told you and whatever's next. I think she's two for two on this vein. Uh, of book that you're really going to like. I really like it myself. And she is now a bona fide, bankable, this side of lit on the fiction scale, but also very recommendable and readable in a book club situation. If that sounds like an disparagement, it is not. Just not at let all. Me be clear, let me be clear about that. And then we talked about it on the show last week, Daisy Jones and the Six. Go mm-hmm. get yourself Daisy Jones and the Six, and you're going to have a great time with, with that book, too. So I don't know what else to say about it, because it's not really... I'm more picking up on a vibe than specific plot or style or you know point of view or anything else like that. But I think both of those, both Daisy Jones and Six and both Celeste Ng books are very much in your... Um, uh, the vicinity of the possibility cloud you're describing here. <laughs> vicinity of the possibility cloud is maybe the show title. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Um, I was also going for Vibe, and I've read Chemistry, Fleischman, and Goodbye Vitamin. And I think these are all concerned in some ways with relationships and domestic life, um, contemporary ideas, especially of womanhood and family, but with a little twist. And so either in the story or in the writing. And so from that tip, I picked um, Department of Speculation by Jenny Offal, which is functionally a tiny little novel about mm. a marriage that's in a point of crisis. But the writing and the way that the book is formatted are just beautiful and creative and not in a not in like a weird challenging hard to read way just like refreshing and interesting um the mothers by Britt bennett uh, also concerned with womanhood family how we make decisions and the narrators the the narrative choices there are are interesting it's a plural narrator um, and then one that i didn't think got nearly enough love when it came out a few years ago is perfect little world by kevin wilson um which is a bigger novel about a, a group of parents that they sign up basically for like a long-term psychological or sociological study where they're going to raise their kids in this constructed like attempt at utopia that a scientist has created and part of the And deal- it goes well. 
<laughs> End of story. <laughs> right. It's a it's a four page long book. Everything is fine. Nothing at all uh, is weird when people uh, raise their children inside a science experiment. Sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it meets the ethical guidelines set out by. So. But I think Kevin anyway. Wilson is like, he wrote The Family Fang. His new book yes. is called Nothing to See Here. And it's about children who spontaneously combust. And he's carving, mm-hmm. and it's also great. Like he's carving out this niche for himself in like weird contemporary family stories that like the weirdness is just a vehicle for exploring how weird normal life is. Right. And, um, and I, I loved all three of those. So I think you can't go wrong. Um, if you're looking for probably the closest in feeling to like chemistry or goodbye vitamin, it would be department of speculation. But, like Fleischman is in trouble is a pretty straightforward moves quickly work of literary fiction. I think the, the mothers in perfect little world is a, are good fits for that. Um, it looks like I have the picks for this, so do the read, and I'll, then I can be me for the picks. Okay, yeah, we're, there's. I think we were um, ambitious, thinking we were going to get through all of these. Yeah, and... <laughs> we're going to do a couple more, then we'll do another hour's <laughs> yeah. worth next week. Another round. Okay, so um, this person has a new brother-in-law, and it's always been their tradition to gift books to family for Christmas, or at least make recommendations. Since she hasn't known the brother-in-law for very long, she's not sure what to get him. He's in the army, so maybe a military history book, preferably more recent, but he also likes cars, has several dogs, and likes the Marvel and DC movies. He's not a confident reader, but she's certain that we can find something for him to be interested in. I've got two picks. I'm not sure they're great, but you're going to have to wait because we're going to do a sponsor before the last picks, and then we're going to get out. We'll do a two-parter. Okay. Um, I I picked up on cars because I'm interested in – look – this is the story of my life. There are many things in the world I'm interested in, but I have no felicity with or any business dealing with in any real way. But I will read a book about it, running marathons, extreme sports, building cars, read a book, take the wrench out of my hand. Um, my number one pick, Sophie's a, uh, is this, this the one that's a reluctant reader? Yes. I'm sorry. I'm now getting these confused. So sometimes a reluctant reader needs a hook. So the hook for the first one is, it is the book that the new movie Ford versus Ferrari is based on. It's called Go Like Hell by AJ, I think, Bamie, B-A-I-M-I-E. It is the story of the famous 1966 Le Mans race where Ford decided it wanted to beat Ferrari at racing and cars. You win at cars. That's what they're trying to do, Ford, was, was winning at cars. It's a great story. Great characters. Stylish point of view. The Le Mans is a... For people who don't know what Le Mans is, it is a crazy idea of a race. So basically, it's this race where it's a 24-hour race. It's an endurance race, and it held near the town of Le Mans in France. It goes in the city, out of the city. It is a wild story. Really exciting. Um... And the book I just picked up, so I can't recommend it my personally, but in reading the reviews, recommendations, this is in my wheelhouse. It's based on the story. Then you can go to the movie. It sounds like if, you're, if your brother's into cars, he's probably going to be interested in this movie. Do they, they capture it? You can do the did you know thing about, well, actually, Ken <laughs> Miles was short, and uh, actually, uh, Carol Shelby was, had red hair, or whatever it is you're going to do when you have the, the pleasure of seeing a nonfiction movie on the screen, but then reading the book there too. If they're nerdier than that, into even into more engineering, one I just picked up um, recently is called How to Build a Car by Adrian Newey, which is the autobiography of the world's greatest Formula One designer. I love these engineering memoirs. I got hooked on this by reading The Perfectionist last year. I like memoir engineers who can write 
That's what I want to know, because it's something I know nothing about. I have no technical or mathematical felicity of all, but I will appreciate you putting into prose the thing I do not understand and how to build a car about what goes into building a Formula One car, the history of Formula One, the teams, the money. It's just all really interesting. This one also is a beautiful gift book. It's a really, it's an interesting format, has this really great black or a blueprint blue and like that light blue they use in old technical drawings. It's just great. Uh, Adrian Newey, uh, was a, a Formula One designer who was knighted. So that tells you how what? good of a, a car designer this dude is. Yeah. So um, there you go. As you were talking, I was thinking about military history. And this one's a serious one, but it's short. And I don't know. I'm going to try mm. it anyway. What it is like to go to war by Carl Marlantes. This is worth a look. Um, and it is an examination. He was a veteran. He wrote Matterhorn about the Vietnam War. And this is a look at the experience of going to war, but also about what it means to come back from war. So I don't know if your brother-in-law has been deployed or has been at functionally the front lines, mm-hmm. but I would guess that being in the army, he knows people who have, um, that he has witnessed what happens to people who go to war and what, what they are like when they come back and might appreciate a reflection um, from someone who had that experience, but now is also several generations removed from it, or several decades removed from it. Um, So that's what it is like to go to war. Okay, let's end it there. That was a lot of recommendations for uh, 7 a.m. on a Saturday morning. We'll come back with... We'll make it another. We'll do the rest. Everything that's in the document now, we're going to get to. Oh, yeah, yeah, It looks like we're about halfway through. Don't Mm -hmm. send us any more, Rex, but if you send us one, at this point, I think we got all of them in there. Um, So... Yay, that was fun. As always, wonderful fun. job, Rebecca. We Thank will talk you. You to too. You this was good. Whenever we're going to talk next. It's Thanksgiving. You know, we're going to be <laughs> we'll off and on. So uh, before too long, we'll be doing this again. Have a good one.